welcome again to Bible Fellowship Church, a place where we hope when you came in, you saw a sign that says where faith and fellowship create a family. And we hope that becomes this place here, a family as God intends, not in perfection, but with imperfection, that we love each other through our imperfections, that we bear with one another, that we encourage one another, that we uplift one another, that we celebrate our wins and we comfort each other in our losses. You know, we, we have a purpose. It's simply to know Jesus, to follow him, to serve him with our lives. Uh, we, are, we are about our Father's business, and that is making Jesus known in this world. Um, and so we just sang about his love. We sang about his goodness. Uh, we are going to jump into a passage that tells us uh, about who he is, about what he's doing. Um, and if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know where we are. Uh, it's in a small book in the Minor Prophets of the Old Testament called Nahum. And I will just let you guys know, it's not going to be as intense as last week. Uh, someone, I think, said they needed to go watch a Hallmark movie after last week's uh, <laughs> message. So, um, sorry about that. But the Bible is a very real book. It, it does not uh, shield things from us, but lays out reality as it is. Uh, it describes the... The, the absolute terror of a sinful life on the, on the canvas of humanity. Um, it, it, it explains why we are where we are and what the inevitable end is for a society that is built on serving itself. Uh, and so we've, we've been going through the book of Nahum. We've been seeing this book that is... I, I warned you guys from the beginning, this is not a happy book. There is comfort there, but its main tone is a tone of justice and judgment. Uh, justice and judgment that is rightfully given to a society that was woefully wicked. And so we went through last week, we saw the accuracy of God's word, we saw the trustworthiness of it, uh, and this week we're going to finish this book, we're going to be in chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles open to the book of Nahum, we're going to be in chapter 3. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to do what we did last week, I'm going to read through the chapter and then, then we'll, we'll get into it. Um, <clears throat> So I'm going to start at the end of chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. The crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, the galloping horse... And the bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword, glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over the bodies. All and all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and deadly of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and people with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. 
I will lift up your skirts over your face and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her rampart the sea and water her wall? Cush was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limit. Put and the Libyans were her helpers. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed in pieces at the heads of every street. For all her honored men, lots were cast, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You will seek refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Draw water from the siege. Strengthen your forts. Go to the clay. Track, tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There will the fire devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will devour you like a locust. Multiply yourselves like the locust. Multiply like the grasshopper. You increased your merchants more than the stars of the heavens. The locust spreads its wings and flies away. Your princes are like grasshoppers. Your scribes are like clouds of locusts, setting on fences in a day of cold. When the sun rises, they fly away. No one knows where they are. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no easing your heart, hurt. Your wound is grievous. All hear, who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. And that ends the book. See, Nahum is delivering a message to a people who have had no rival. They've been going throughout the earth. They have been abusing people. We've read about this last week. I'm not getting back into that. If you're curious, you can go back to the last messages online. But they have done some atrocious things in life, in, in, in this world, to people. And they boasted and bragged about it. And at the end of Nahum's book, he begins this chapter with a woe. Woe to you. The bloody city, as the ESV puts it. But really, maybe the better translation is the city of blood. You've built your, your, your city on blood. Death. Woe to you. Now, Nahum, when we hear and we see the word woe, a lot of us think the wrong thing about that word. Nahum, when we, I started this entire series, the beginning of the book, it says the oracle of, of Nahum, which really the, the Hebrew word there is the burden of Nahum. The burden that he carried. This man pronouncing judgment on this nation, even though they are that wicked, still came with a burden. Because seeing that type of destruction in humanity, no matter how wicked the person is, is not a good thing. For someone who knows the Lord and follows the Lord and is walking after him, that is, that is a sad sight to see. It is not good for God's creation to be destroyed. 
And Nahum is saying, whoa. It's not a taunt. It's not a, not a you're going to get what you deserve, people. It's whoa. There's, a, there's an aspect of mourning that comes behind it. It is a curse towards them, but there is a, it is a difficult thing. It's almost expressed by an agony. Right? We see Jesus say these same things in the Gospels. Right? Luke 6, 24, Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. What is he saying? Woe. You made the bad choice. You put all of your investment in this temporary thing and you've lost out on eternal life. It says the same thing to the scribes, the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 21, 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you. And Jesus is not saying this to the Pharisees because he's like, wants to get back at them. He came to rescue people who were attacking him. It was not as though Jesus came just to attack the Pharisees because they're his enemy. He would have loved to see them repent and accept who he is. But in sorrow, woe to you, because what's happening is going to happen. I don't want to see it, but it's happening. He says this to cities, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for them on the day of judgment than t- uh, for Tyre and Sidon than you. And woe to you, Capernaum. Would you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades for the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom. It would have remained until this day. Right? Jesus has, was on the earth doing all these amazing things and the people couldn't see it. And they continued after their self-centered, sinful lifestyle, which led them to being blinded to the hope and the grace they could have received in Jesus. And his response is not, you're going to get what you deserve. His response is, woe to you. You've rejected the only source of life, and you're going to receive death. Woe to you. You've been given so much, and you missed it. And Nahum, this man who has this burden, whose name means comfort, because this message is a comfort for God's people, is woe to you, city of blood. There's something that is coming, and it is inevitable. Nineveh will receive justice for their wickedness and their brutality. And that is sourced in their self-centered life. 
A city built upon me and mine alone with no capacity for anyone else. So what are the woes that he talks about? Woe because you're a bloody city. You're a city full of blood. The nation was built upon the death of other people. Their warmongering, their strength, their power, their military might, that's what they built their strength upon. That's what they boasted about. That's what they bragged about. Nobody can touch me. No end of their prey. All full of lies and plunder. But these people built their society on theft, on deceit, on abuse. Full of deceit, full of lies. You're reminded almost of, of this interchange where Sennacherib from Assyria comes down, surrounds Jerusalem, and he sends out his emissary with this super cool name, Rabshaka, which I feel like could be a hip-hop artist somewhere. <laughs> Someday, we can hope. Um, and he says to Hezekiah and all the people there who are listening, make peace with me and come out to me. Each one of you will eat his own, of his own vine, each one of, uh, of his own fig tree, each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and wine, and a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Wait, this Rabshakeh comes over here and he's speaking lies to the people to get them to surrender themselves. To not trust in God to save them, which God does ultimately save them. God rescues. He kills 180,000 of their troops in a night. I don't even know how that happened or what happened, but he just kills them. They, they, they're defeated. They turn tail and they run. Sennacherib's like, I'm, I'm done with this. You can have it. See you later. And he's saying, no, come on out. Everything's good. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna punish you for your disobedience. We're not gonna do anything like that. We'll just let you, you can live your life. Actually, when we, when we come back, we'll, we'll bring you to a place that's even better than that. And all of that is just abject lies. And throughout the life cycle of this nation, those lies given to people to take what they want from someone else was just how the society was built. Because it wasn't about honesty, it wasn't about truth, it wasn't about people. It was about that nation, that people, that king wanting his stuff. And I don't care who I affect. I don't care what I do to someone else. I don't care what damage it causes. I want it. And that's really every human system that's built. Every nation ultimately goes down this road. 
maybe in a different degree, but it all comes from a self-centered life. Me, my own, my stuff. That's the problem with humanity. That's what the Bible describes as of sin. A life turned inward. Me, my own, my stuff, all about me. I don't care about whatever's happened to anyone else. I'm going to get mine. I'm in charge of my life. I get to decide what's right and what's wrong. I get to make my decisions. I get to do me. And a society, no matter how good its foundation, ultimately ends up self-destroying because the kingdom of man destroys itself. And really, you can almost see that this this picture of Nineveh stands as this archetypal city of man. This is the kingdom of mankind. This is what mankind will ultimately do. Mankind will consume itself for itself. Woe to you, city of blood. Woe to you who are full of lies and deceit, who take full of theft, stolen goods, merchandise, enriching yourselves off the back of other people. And to that people, God promises judgment, justice. The Lord will force Nineveh to see the reality of their brokenness. The Lord will cause them to see the reality of their sin and the frailty of their own frailty and shame. Because what they were doing is shameful. We all know this, right? This is why someone needed to go watch a Hallmark movie after last sermon by just reading what they put in their annuals. Right? And, and that's not even the, I didn't even read the worst of it. I mean, there, there's just, again, I've said this three weeks in a row, there's stuff that I will not read up here. Because it's just, it's just terrible. And they're doing that and boasting about it. They have no shame. Now, just a sidestep, we talk a lot about shame, Christians carrying shame. That's not a good thing to do. Jesus has paid for that. He's taken it. But shame is not necessarily a bad thing. Shame reveals a conscience. Consciences are good. Consciences are guardrails for people to keep them from doing things that are destructive to humanity. Shame is that mechanism that keeps people from doing that. So when God says, behold, I am against you, Nineveh, declares the Lord of hosts. I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will expose you. You think that you are proud. You think that you are capable. You think that you can rule the world. Nothing's going to touch you. I will expose you. I will show what you've been doing in this world.
God will make them see what they have done. And there's nothing that people can, they could do to stop it. Now, up until this time, there's been only one city named in this book. There is another city that's named, and it's important that it's named because what happened in this city, Nineveh did. So verse 8, are you better than Thebes? Some of your Bible translations may say Noamon, which is the uh, Hebrew word for Thebes. Luxor, right? This, you know, in, in Egypt, where the Valley of the Kings are, where those massive, uh, beautiful uh, remnants of Egypt's great dynasty exist? That's Thebes. It is a city that was established. We don't even know when, but the earliest record is around 2100 BC. It existed for a long time. It was the seat of power, so much so that the Greeks called it the, the city of Zeus or the city of God because it was just beautiful. This city was lo is located 400 miles down or up the Nile River into Egypt. It's bordered by the Nile. It's got a position that is defensible. It's why it lasted for so long. It's got a resource. It had, it had uh, alliances with the people around it. If any army, army wanted to attack Thebes, they had to march 400 miles through Egypt to get there. Like, that's a lot when you have to carry your food and provisions with you and go on foot. It's like, why bother? Not only that, like they have their defenses, they have friends. Right? So when he says, uh, the water around there is a rampart of sea and a wall, Cush was their strength. Ethiopia, Libya, um, Egypt too, Put and Libyans were her helpers. All the surrounding nations had alliances with Thebes. So they were protected. And Assyria, this brutal, warring nation with unmatched military power, ransacked them during the king, uh, king Manasseh's reign. They marched down, they went down to Thebes, they ransacked Thebes. They did what is listed here. She became an exile, she went into captivity. Her infants were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. Her honored men were cast, lots were cast. Her great men were bound in chains. We have extra biblical history that describes this very thing. From 668 BC, Assyria does this. And it's interesting because Nahum is existing during this time in Manasseh's reign. Nahum could very well be watching this nation carry off Thebes with them back to Nineveh. Because you can't get to Nineveh without going through Israel. From Egypt 
through Israel up over to Nineveh. Nahum's may have prophesied this as they're going. Maybe that's why it's so short. Because someone's like, dude, bro, stop. They just ransacked these. <laughs> they can destroy us. But he's speaking to this nation who thinks they can never fall. But like the other nation that could never fall, who they themselves by their own hand fell, brutalized, destroyed, they will receive a similar judgment. It's going to happen. Now, it's interesting what, what Nahum does as he's describing this. He's, he's telling them, and it's almost like a taunt. Draw your water from your seeds. Strengthen your forts. Go into the clay and mortar. Build up your town. Do what all you want to do. Try to guard yourself. It's not going to work. Because when God ultimately judges mankind, there is nothing man can do to stop it. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. There's nothing out there. All human effort to avoid judgment will ultimately fail. Now, this happened. It, it, princes are like grasshoppers. Your scribes are like clouds of locusts. This nation is like a locust. They came on the scene out of nowhere. They ate up a bunch of stuff, and then they disappeared. And this judgment was true. It lasted. It happened exactly as it was supposed to be, like 30 to 40 years before it actually happened. This was prophesied, and it happened. Nineveh is not settled. Nineveh was destroyed. No one ever went there again. We didn't find it until like the 1850s. Some archaeologists found it. Desolation. Judgment. This mighty city built on their pride and arrogance crumbled in a moment. And this city stands as an archetype for all broken humanity. This city stands as a picture as to what's going to happen ultimately when the Lord returns. So if you have your Bibles, I want to turn over to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. And after I saw this, another angel came down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passions of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And then I heard a voice from the heavens saying, come out of her, my people. Lest you take part in her sins. Lest you share in her plagues. 
For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back to others. And repay her double for her deeds. A mix of double portion for her in the cup that she's mixed, and she, as she glorified herself and, li and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure in torment and mourning. Since her heart says, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she'll be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And all the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city. Woe, woe, you great city. You mighty city Babylon. For in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of the most costly wood, bronze and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which you longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning out loud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors, all who trade on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw smoke of her burning. What city was like this great city? And they threw the dust on their heads and wept and mourned, crying, Alas, alas, the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she'd been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down in violence and will be found no more. The sounds of her harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpets will be heard no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom, the bride, will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. All nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Now, why did I just read that giant passage? doesn't happen often in sermons, right? Because it deeply illustrates the devastation that will come upon the city that is erected against God. Who is this great Babylon? We don't know. Anyone who's saying, I know who this is, they are lying. We don't know. We don't know who this nation is. But this nation stands 
as the representative of all that is attacking the Lord. And they're doing it in the same way that Assyria has done it, that Babylon after them did it, that Greece after them did it, that Rome after them did it, that the Turks after them did it, that Great Britain after them did it, that the United States after them is doing. Every nation built upon mankind's desire for self-gratification destroys other people, either covertly or explicitly. And the Lord will, the Lord will make it right. So why is Nahum a comfort? Why is Nahum a comfort for God's people? Because there is rescue coming. There is rescue coming. In fact, right after this, chapter 19, look what it says. After I heard this, what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with their immorality. He has avenged her blood on his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! Smoke from her grows up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants, all you who fear him, small and great. Hallelujah for the Lord our God reigns. The Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright, bright and pure. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God has done it. God has rescued. God has saved us. It's comfort because it's truth. The reality of the truth of what God was doing to the Assyrians is the same reality as what God's will do to this broken world. He will make all things new. And we could spend time reading at the end of Revelation, the new heavens and the new Jerusalem, where he wipes away all the tears, where there's no more mourning, there's no more sadness, there's no more brokenness, there's no more pain and sorrow. He makes it all new. So why is all this judgment, which we don't like to hear, a good thing? Because if we found our safety in God, if we put our trust in Jesus, that judgment does not come upon us as it rightfully deserves. That judgment becomes a doorway into our everlasting peace. See, the book of Nahum ends with a question. 
For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? It's interesting because this prophet, which deals specifically with Nineveh, ends in the same way that the other prophet who dealt specifically with Nineveh ends. And another question, Jonah 4.11, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? <laughs> Questions. Judgment, mercy. The woe, the sadness, the burden is that there are those who could receive mercy going to endure deep judgment because they refuse to humble themselves before a mighty God. All of us deserve the judgment that was put on Nineveh, that is put on Babylon, that is put against all sin. We all have offended a holy God. We all deserve wrath. Whether or not we agree with it or like it, it's just true. But many of us have instead received mercy. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. And upon top of mercy, we receive grace. Getting what I do not deserve. Not only did I not get the judgment, I got life. I got peace. I got rescue. I got hope. That the, the mess that I'm in, the terrible things that I'm going through, the people that are around me that are all about themselves and will not ever look into what they're doing to me to harm me, that's going to be dealt with. I don't need to fight for it. I just need to simply rest in my Savior, Jesus, who's paid for it all, who is working it all, who will sustain me through it and will bring me to a place where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness. So the question I want to leave you with is, have I found my refuge in Jesus? So if you haven't, Today is the day. And if you don't really believe it, ask him to help you see. All through the Gospels, Jesus shows himself as a miracle worker. Many times he opens the ears of the deaf, he opens the eyes of the blind. Why does he do that? He could just do that for everyone, like that. But he did it for a purpose, to showcase 
that those who cannot see the truth and those who cannot hear the truth, if you come to Jesus asking for you to see it, he will be able to open your eyes to see it. He will be able to open your ears to hear it and you will receive life. What you've been searching for through all of your life, you will receive. The peace that you're striving to get in your new job or the stuff that you have or the the perfect relationship or whatever it is, you can get from God. You just need to ask. We began this whole service by saying we don't have it all together. We're not perfect. It's to help us understand God does not expect us to be perfect. He knows that we're not. He expects us to reach out and trust in the one who's able to fix us in our brokenness. Christianity is not about doing everything right all the time. It's about trusting a God who's done everything right already. If you found your refuge in Jesus, are you living with the reality of it? Are you waking up understanding the truth that what is read in chapter 18 of Revelation and chapter 19 of Revelation is as true today as it will be when it happens? Or are you spending your time making you and your family miserable, obsessing over the geopolitical situation in our world? Are you missing out on opportunities to show the peace that you have rightfully been given that you can choose to accept today like you accepted it 50 years ago when you accepted Jesus and show that to someone who says, what do you have? It just seems like everything goes like this in the world and you're unfazed. Yeah, I'm good. I don't need anything from anyone. God's given me everything that I need. And if I lose it all today, I'm good. If I have to suffer through intense pain in this life, I'm good. Because the same God who's rescued me and rose his son from the dead is the one who's going to walk with me through the pain of that going through and ultimately bring me to pleasure forevermore. I'm good. So have you found your refuge in Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your holiness, your justice. Lord, that you will not allow this brokenness of this world to go on forever that you will ultimately make right all the wrongs. Lord, we thank you that you've given to us freedom in your son, freedom from that wrath, Lord, that we can find in the oncoming storm of your judgment safety within it. Lord, help us to see. Help us to trust you more. Lord, utilize us to help others do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.